podcast. I'm Nathan Brown, Education and Idaho National Lab reporter for the Post Register. I'm Isabella Alves. I'm the City Government and Healthcare reporter for the Post Register. I'm Brian Clark, and I'm the State Government and Politics reporter. Sorry we took a bit of a hiatus on recording this podcast, but we're back now to talk about the primary elections coming up on Tuesday. Let's start with the one that's probably on the minds of the most people throughout the state, the race for governor. For the first time in 12 years, there's an open seat there. Incumbent Republican Butch Otter is stepping down after three terms. And there are some competitive and interesting races on both the Democratic and Republican sides. Brian, you've been following this pretty closely. We'll walk us through both fields. Um, so starting with the, the Republicans, um, the, you, you, know, you, you, you have a showdown between three candidates, uh, Brad Little, the incumbent lieutenant governor, Raul Labrador, the, uh, the representative of the 1st Congressional District, and Tommy Alquist, who's a, a doctor and real estate developer from Boise. Um, don't have a whole lot of recent polling, so it's, it's really hard to say who might be in the lead at this point on the Republican side. Um, but uh, uh, it's fair to say that they all have a decent shot. Um, Little is, is mostly seen as sort of uh, aligned with the, the um, mainstream Republican camp. Uh, Labrador is a very conservative member of the Freedom Caucus in the House. Um, and uh, Alquist's an outsider. Uh, he's he's uh, emphasized that very heavily in his campaign. Um, on the Democratic side, you have A.J. Belukov, longtime member of the Boise School Board and uh, the, the Democratic nominee last go-around, uh, facing off against Paulette Jordan, a two-term um, representative from the Northern Panhandle. Uh, and so, so th- th- this will be the first time there's a, uh, in a while that there's been a seriously contested primary on the Democratic side. And the, what's your sense of how... How local how local Republicans are dividing up? I mean, like, um, how how much support do you think um, each of the Republican candidates is going to get in in this area? It's very hard to say without polling. Um, you, you you know, it's it's just hard to, hard to give a, a definitive answer. Um, it's it's all a little speculative unless you have some numbers. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, members of of sort of the Republican establishment, who's actually sort of different than the 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 party here. Um, you know, ex-elected officials, people like that are, uh, you, you hear a lot of people lining up behind Alquist. Uh, a lot of the people on the Central Committee who are, who represent the more conservative part of the party are, are Labrador backers. Um, and then you also have a lot of the, the older establishment who are aligned with Little. Um, it really could break anyway. Yeah. Do um, any of the candidates have specific issues that are campaigning heavily on? Um, so there, there, there are some differences. Uh, Labrador's been been hitting uh, hitting the campaign trail hard with what he calls his five 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 plan. It's the idea is to remove uh, to to reduce um, individual corporate and uh, individual and corporate uh, income taxes and the sales tax each to five percent, and then uh, attempt to to make up some some of the lost revenue through closing tax loopholes. Um, Little has has sort of. Been been campaigning on on keeping a, a steady hand on the wheel. Um, he's he's also campaigned heavily on uh, an executive order that he and and um, uh, Governor Otter signed uh, at at the beginning of the legislative session this year that would allow um, uh, basically non Obamacare approved plans to be sold in the state. Um, and that still hasn't passed. Right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's still under review. Um, the. Uh, 
when you talk to him, he says he's con confident that it's going to get approved. They just have little yeah. issues to work the, uh, out. The Department of Health and Human Services needs to approve that, right? Yeah, uh, uh, CMS. Yeah, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid yes, Services. Yeah, yeah, that's yes, right, yeah. I remember um, last time we spoke, the CMS had sent a letter um, highlighting their issues with the executive order, and both Little and Otter are in D.C. trying to, you know, um, push for their executive order. And today, they're... Um, those plans still haven't hit the market, and it's actually behind where it um, scheduled for it because they said um, it would hit the market in March. People would be able to buy it in April. You know, it's May now, and it's still pending. So yeah, yeah. Um, so so he he expresses confidence it'll be approved. Um, obviously remains to be seen. Yep. Um, then as as far as Alquist, he's he's really. Um, Leaned heavily on his outsider status. That's that's sort of been his uh, his key thing. He's campaigned on is is that he's not a traditional politician. He's a business guy. He knows how to how to make business businesses successful, and and for that reason, he would run the state well. And uh, what about the Democrats? I mean, like, um, how, uh, how would you summarize kind of the um, the, the differences between Blukov and Jordan? You know, like like in their policy views, and also in the in, in the support they're drawing. Uh, so it's it's the, the the differences aren't enormous. Um, when when they debated, actually, uh, it was it was uh, difficult to find areas where they disagreed. Right. I, I believe um, a marijuana legalization was like, right was one of the few concrete issues where they took different stances. Yeah, yeah, and and so so uh, Paula Jordan has come out in favor of recreational marijuana legalization, uh, but Lukoff is not. Um, but on the on the vast majority of issues, they they're quite closely aligned. Um, as, as far as their support, um, you, you, you can kind of see the existing schism in the Democratic Party between the Hillary camp and the, and the Bernie Sanders camp roughly cutting along these same lines with, um, you know, Jordan explicitly uses a lot of uh, Sanders campaign rhetoric on the trail. Right. Uh, Belukov is, is sort of um, a more uh, traditional Democrat. Right. Because I mean, because I mean, as you were saying, even though the views on a lot of topics are fairly similar, they have similar views on education funding. They're both in favor of expanding Medicaid. They both right. have similar views on on, on public lands. But uh, there's definitely a perception that uh, that that Blukov is the more moderate of the two, and Jordan's the more liberal. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I I think a lot of that has uh, has showed up more in rhetorical dimensions than it has in concrete policy differences, marijuana excluded. Um, but uh, but you can definitely. Say, uh, Jordan has made a very explicit effort to, to mirror a lot of uh, of Sanders' rhetoric on the trail, um, so so I, I I think you can see a little bit of a difference there. Doesn't she um, also campaign for a lot of Native American issues? Is that um, well? So so she would, if elected, be uh, the the nation's first Native American governor. Mm -hmm. um, and she's she's talked about the issues some some on the trail. Uh, it's certainly something she has a lot of experience with. She mm -hmm. she served several years on the the tribal council for the for the Coeur d'Alene. Okay. Yeah, and and she's a um. Who got a lot of uh, home campaign contributions, like from some uh, from uh, home some tribes, right? Like. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I believe she has. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's let's move on quickly to the race for lieutenant governor. That's another one that's open because Little's running for governor, and um, you've got a crowded Republican primary field there, including several candidates who are from or have ties to this part of the state. Who's running, Brian? Um. So we've got uh, five that are on the Republican side and two on the Democratic side. 
Uh, running down the list quickly, you've got Marv Hagedorn, a longtime senator from Meridian, uh, Janice McGeehan, who served, who represented Idaho Falls for 10 years in the House, uh, widely seen as, as a very conservative, uh, Senator Bob Nonini um, from uh, Coeur d'Alene. He's has long been considered uh, the most, if not one of the two or three most uh, conservative members of the Senate. Uh, Representative Kelly uh, Packer out of McCammon, um, she's widely seen as a moderate. She was a, a supporter of Medicaid expansion um, and, and some other uh, policies like that. And then finally, Steve Yates, who, was, who served as the party chairman for a number of years. Um, on the Democratic side, you have uh, Kristen Collum. Uh, she's a, a, a software engineer out of Boise, uh, and she's facing off against Jim Fabe, who's a, a man from uh, Sun Valley. He owns a, uh, a solar farm. All right, and so um, on the Republican side, I mean, like, um, how would you characterize the um, you know the, uh, uh, the differences between the candidates? You know, like, um, who's um, who's supporting whom? You know, how they perceived? How do they differ on the issues? Uh, so it's it's a, a you know, there, there's there's a lot of them, so so it's hard to summarize quickly. Right. Yeah. Um. But but broadly, you could um you could consider McGeehan and Nonini as sort of aligned with the further right section of the Republican Party. You could consider Hagedorn and Packarder um, aligned with the more moderate portion. Uh, Yates, it's it's a little bit harder to to pin down. Um. He's he's maybe somewhere in the in the middle of the group. He's also the only one who doesn't have a voting record. Yes, that's right. He he doesn't have a voting and, record. And as so chairman it's... before, he, he he kind of had to stay neutral, like in between in between the factions. And... Right, right. Um, although depending on on which faction right, of the Republican Party <laughs> you 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 talk right. to, they'll they'll uh, differ uh, in in uh, their assessment of how neutral he was. Right. Yeah. Um. So uh. So that that's that that's a, a rough way to summarize it. Um. On uh on the Democratic side, column uh. She's emphasizing um, a lot of diversity issues in, in her campaign, uh, getting more uh, women such as herself in office to, to try and get more towards gender parity. Um, Fabe uh, has, has emphasized a lot doing, doing things about school shootings. Um, it's not entirely clear what a lieutenant governor could do about that, but that's, that's been his main issue. Yeah, and I believe Cole uh, McCollum um, and Paulette Jordan announced a day, or two, a day or two ago that they're running together as a ticket. Which, um, okay, so let's, um, let's move on to the legislative primaries. There are some local lawmakers who will have Democratic challengers come November, mm -hmm. but the uh, story for now is the primaries on the Republican side, where a number of incumbents are facing challengers, and there are, uh, and there are a couple of scrambles for some open seats. Mm -hmm. In a lot of these races, the basis, basic dynamic is you have a candidate who's uh, seen as more conservative facing one who's seen as more moderate. So uh, I, I know there are a lot of them, but like, what, are, what, what are some of the races around here that people should be paying attention to? Uh, well, there there are a lot that are uh, fairly fairly interesting. Um, one one that'll be uh, here in Idaho Falls that'll be quite interesting is Gary Marshall uh, versus Jeff Thompson. Thompson's been in for ten years, um, but uh, his his last primary, which which was against Yates, he he won pretty narrowly. Right. Um, and uh, he's he's facing uh, uh, Marshall, who's who's a retired BYUI professor. Uh, Marshall has been outpacing him in fundraising, outpacing him in spending, um, and uh, so so it could be a, a pretty tight race. Um, a, another one that'll be quite interesting to look at will be uh, Ju Julie Van Orden versus Julianne Young. Uh, Van Orden's the the chairwoman of the House Education Committee. Um, 
and uh, Julianne Julianne Young is is a, a, a challenger who's pretty far to the right. She uh, is a member of a group called the Freedom First Society, which is sort of a an offshoot of the John Birch Society. Um, and that's actually the most expensive race in the region. There's more money in that race than any other. Um, another one that'll be interesting is uh, uh, Representative Del Raybould has decided not to run again. Um, and so you've got a three-way race for an open seat there. Um, Britt Raybould is his granddaughter who he's endorsed. Uh, she's running sort of as a moderate. Um, Elaine King is a longtime GOP activist who's a bit further to the right. Um, and then Marshall Merrill is, is another candidate who's, who's sort of got a bit more eclectic positions. Um, if, the, if the fundraising picture uh, sort of decides um, who you take more seriously, uh, Raybould and King have pulling away from, uh, from Merrill quite a bit. Let's get back to the Van Orden Young race for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, where is where is most of the support for for, for both of them coming from? Um, so so uh, it's it's just sort of different different factions of the of the Republican Party. Um, uh, Young uh, has has sort of um, uh, a community following among the the, the right there. Um, as I said, she's she's sort of one of the lead members of this this Freedom First Society that that shot off. Uh, the John Birch Society, right. and, and she's written um, a, a number of things for, for their their campaign, and it's actually turned into uh, a lot of fundraising for her. She, you know, as a as a first time candidate, she's raised almost twenty five thousand dollars. That's almost double what you see a lot of incumbents raising in the right. in the yeah, that's in a, the race. Yeah, um, it's a lot for a legislative race in Idaho. It is, and but but she, uh, that's actually dwarfed by Van Orden. Now, uh, Van Orden loaned her her own campaign twenty seven thousand dollars, but. In all, she's raised uh, nearly fifty thousand dollars. So it's it's that's going to be a very expensive race. Okay. So, when you're hearing these numbers, is that higher than normal or about average for um, this type of race? That's that's uh, much higher than normal. Okay. Um, for for example, uh, you, you know, uh, Mark Gary Marshall has raised about sixteen thousand dollars to Jeff Thompson's nine thousand dollars. Uh, Tony Potts has raised about eleven thousand dollars. His his opponent David Lint has uh, raised about fourteen thousand dollars. So you're usually looking at at uh, annual fundraising or primary season fundraising somewhere in this ten to twenty thousand dollar range. Uh, the fact that you've uh, um, got two candidates who are you know one's at twenty five thousand and uh, and one is at fifty thousand that that's a very expensive raise. Okay. Yeah, that is um no um. One of Young's big reasons for running was that she was on, uh, was 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 that she wasn't happy with with this uh, update to the uh, state's sex education law that uh, that 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 Van Orden tried to get passed this year. Um, so, um, can you just um, walk us through a bit, like uh, what this change would have been and what Young's issue with it was? So, so um, the the uh, to to hear Van Orden explain it. Um, Basically, there was just a constitutional problem with the existing sex education law. Um, likely, part of what that uh, that entails was was that the the existing law um, says uh, says that, that the church has to play a primary role. Now, it's right. it's unclear what what church is meant by this, but uh, it says the the church has to play um, a primary role. Um, 
so so uh, Van Orden introduced what she said were just technical fixes. Uh, Julianne Young um, argues that what, what she was trying to introduce was comprehensive sexual education and that um, children would be uh, taught um, taught about areas of sex that, that, that she feels are, are too explicit or uh, not in line with um, what she perceives as the morals of the community. Yeah, and I believe the current law like also has language talking about uh, teaching morality and, 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 right. and teaching self-discipline or restraint. I, I can't remember exactly how they word it, but and, yeah. and that would have been removed under the update. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think the, the constitutional problem in particular runs from the, the, the designation of the primacy of, of the church in, uh, in a state law. Um, okay. All right, and let's uh, talk about the difference uh, between uh, uh, Tony Potts and David Lent for a bit. I believe that's the only competitive primary in District 33, right? Uh, it is. That, that, um, and it's, it's looking like it'll be a, uh, a pretty interesting one. Um, uh, also because it's the only, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll have a, a general election. You'll actually have general election challengers in all three. Right. Um, but, but, uh, Tony Potts was, uh, was appointed to replace, uh, Bart Davis after, uh, um, Davis went on to become U.S. attorney. Um, so this is his first election. He's, he's, uh, served one, one session in the legislature. Um, he's, uh, there, there's there's been some some controversy of late regarding his uh, his uh, b- both his his sponsorship of a bill uh, that would that would uh, benefit a, a primary um, uh, donor of his uh, Brian Smith, who's who's who owns and is connected with uh, a few medical debt collection firms, um, and uh, and. At the same time, uh, Potts was um, spending a, a lot of his campaign funds during the legislative session, which is unusual, and he was spending them on things such as rent, uh, food, housing, things like that. Who's David Lent? Okay, so uh, David Lent is a longtime member of the, of the school board. He's um, uh, running on a sort of more more moderate ticket. Uh, Potts is is a member of the Bonneville Central Committee, who uh, w- was was um, one of their handpicks. Um, right. Yeah, so so uh, Lent's running on a, a little bit more moderate platform, um, and he's he's actually uh, done well in in fundraising as well so far. He's he's raised about uh, fourteen thousand dollars, which is is more than than Potts has raised by. Uh, about twenty percent. So right. you now, where's most of Lent's money coming from? Um, so, so Lent has uh, uh, the 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 majority of it is from within uh, uh, Eastern Idaho. In all, he's it's about four thousand dollars. He's either got from uh, out of state or from outside of Eastern Idaho. Um, Potts uh, is heavily funded by by Doyle Beck and, and Brian Smith. In fact, about half of his contributions come from uh, them, their companies, and their relatives. All right. How uh, many of the big statewide PACs get involved in that race, and like the Cattle Association, the Potato Growers, any of them? Uh, so yeah, the the there there are PACs involved in basically all of the races. Um, you you've you've seen uh, more more of the PACs lining up behind Lent, um, but you've uh, there, there are also a, a certain number uh, of businesses and PACs who've who've. Uh, 
given given sizable donations to pods. Before we move on, I also want to talk about the um, uh, the race between uh, Chad Christensen and uh, Tom Lurcher. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's going on there? Um, so so that that's that that'll be an interesting race. Uh, Tom Lurcher is the chairman of the House State Affairs Committee, um, and because because of that role, he he um, he winds up um, pocketing a fair amount of legislation that uh, folks on the the right end of the Republican Party right. uh, get upset. Uh, about not getting a hearing. Yeah, there have been a few gun bills, especially over the past few yeah. years, that he hasn't held a hearing on that uh, yeah. a lot of yeah. people haven't been happy about. Yeah, yeah in, in, in particular gun bills. And, and Christensen has uh, has campaigned heavily on that. Uh, he's he's um, really underlined his support for, for guns. He's backed by the Second Amendment Alliance, which is sort of a, a, a gun rights organization that's well to the right of the NRA. Um and uh, so, yeah, he's, he's, he's got a lot of uh, support from, from that area. Uh, he's, he's also um, uh, been endorsed by Ammon Bundy. Um, so he, he did a, a, an interview with him. Um, Lurcher, Lurcher is a pretty conservative guy, but he's, um, he's seen as a, a little bit more moderate than, than Christensen. Uh, Lurcher's been far outpacing uh, Christensen and fundraising in large part due to donations from other lawmakers. About a dozen lawmakers have given him max contributions. To uh, Lurcher. Yeah. 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 And uh, Christensen's only been able to raise about $2,000, so so there's a very wide gap there. Um, uh, another interesting issue that came to light recently in that race is that uh, Christensen, Christensen pleaded guilty in 2014 to what was originally charged as a felony in North Dakota um, associated with dumping uh, either fracking drilling mud or fracking flowback fluid on county roads there. Um, and uh, it's, it's unclear whether, whether he pleaded guilty to a felony. The, the, he got a um, deferred sentence and, and completed his probation, so the, the case has been sealed. Um, but, but it is uh, s- sort of a new revelation that came late in the race. How much of an impact do you think this is going to have on the race? It's always very hard to say. Um, with without without polling, we, we we don't even know where, you know, the support levels start. Um, mm-hmm. In in general, it's it's not good to to have it, you know, known that yeah. you have a criminal record. It's just not good to commit felonies or have felony charges. It's yeah, that, <laughs> that's in general not good for your yeah. your chances. Yeah, I mean. My gut feeling is, I mean, it's probably not going to change too many people's votes. I mean, like, it's still not going to override like where you stand on the issues. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's hard to say. Um, it, you know, you can spec speculate a lot about those mm-hmm. things, but without right. without polling data, it's just it's just very hard to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One thing that come that I find interesting about the uh, the, le- the legislative primaries is that you know their outcome is going to determine what what kind of legislature there is in twenty nineteen and. Um, and um, and we, 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 which is going to have an influence on how well they get along with the next governor. I mean, like I mean, I I, I, I think it, uh, Little and Labrador both have a, uh, a fair amount of uh, support in the uh, legislature now. But depending on how the primaries go, uh, 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 that could change either way. So you think you could uh, walk us through a bit, Ryan? Like uh, uh, which lawmakers support Little, which lawmakers support Labrador, and. Um, how that how that might determine what's going to happen in twenty nineteen? Well, yeah, it'll it'll be um, a a real shakeup. I mean, you've you've 
you're going to have a, a new governor, new lieutenant governor, several right. other state statewide um, offices. You're you're going to have uh, a lot of the most senior members of the legislature, including Maxine Bell and, and Sean Keogh, out. Um, right. So it's it's going to be an, uh, a time with a whole lot of turnover, um, and particularly in in eastern Idaho, I think it, it could kind of determine the the future direction of uh, of policy making. Um, you've you've got you, you've had a, a definite rightward shift in in eastern Idaho in particular in uh, the last few years, um, but some of that's been driven by resignations and appointments. Um, so it'll be yeah, Barbara interesting. Ehart and Tony Potts, for example. Yeah, yeah, Barbara Ehart and, and Tony Potts, um, and so it'll be interesting to see how many of those those hold up. Um, if if uh, the right continues to gain ground and you get somebody like Labrador in there, you you could very easily see a, a sharp rightward shift in in policy making in Idaho. Um, if you get you know little or or, or Alquist, Alquist is a, slightly more nebulous when he when he talks about policy, but um, certainly if you got little uh, and and the the more moderate faction of the GOP picked up uh, more seats in eastern Idaho, that that could set another direction for the next. Decade, right? Yeah, yeah, and also, I mean, like it's the home still pretty early. We're talking about this, but the uh, home Democrats could uh, home gain some seats too, and also like which seats they gain, and you know, like which Republicans they take out could, um, you know, you know, could influence influence which faction is stronger or weaker. I mean, it, that's that's certainly the case. It'll be interesting to to watch um, watch races where where you've had shifts in recent years the the Lewiston era area the the Pocatello area right. and um it's it's still very early I, I mean if you look at the last few elections you 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 would not think that Democrats in Idaho Falls have a huge chance um on the other hand when you look at uh, at the city races which are essentially uh, performed in the same district as as legislative district 33 where you've got three Democrats facing off against Republicans, um, you you had a, a large number of, of people who 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 are themselves Democrats or, or, or sort of lean left, winning nonpartisan city council races. Um, so, you, you know, it, Idaho Falls has elected Democrats in the past. It's been a while, um, but it's not inconceivable that that a, a Democrat could win a, a seat in Idaho Falls. Right, and well, also in. A- Idaho, the, you know, the, the three Republicans representing Idaho Falls are very conservative. I mean, like, um, so I mean, like the, um, depending on how many, how many, um, on how many people vote, and and depending on how many Democrats vote, you know, could increase the Democrats' chances because, like, the, because they may have a harder, may have a harder time, like, uh, uh draw, drawing some more moderate voters than a more moderate Republican would. I mean, yeah, um. It's it's been interesting because the you you have the Republican Central Committee here, but if you if you look at their record in the last several big elections they've intervened in, um, they've mostly not been successful. The the majority of voters have have gone gone against them in, in the in the case of the school bond, and of of CEI, uh, gone sharply against them. Um, and in the last uh, mayoral election as well. Yeah, and and in the mayoral election. Um, so, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. It's it's not inconceivable that you'll have a certain number of of uh, of Republican voters voting Democrat, um, but you, you know it's all a little speculative. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. And Quinho um, Falls like it's 
Um, still has a lot more Republicans than Democrats. I mean, oh, it would, I mean, it would, it would definitely be an upset. I mean, it it would be it would be a, a very large upset. The yeah. um, it's it's been a, a while. I don't remember exactly how many years, but it, it's been quite a while since um, uh, about a decade since uh, Idaho Falls had uh, a Democrat in the legislature, and he lasted only a single term, um, despite being yeah. a, a pretty popular. Yeah, he was, was elected in two thousand six, I think, which was the. That sounds right. Yeah, that was a wave year for Democrats nationwide. I mean, like that's the year they took back the House. I mean. Yeah, yeah, um, and and. That that may or may not have played a a role here. Um, the the candidate was a pretty well known, well liked uh, high school teacher, um, but even there, he he survived one term. Okay, well, thank you for listening, and remember to vote. Early voting ends Friday, so it'll probably be over by the time you hear this. But if you're not registered to vote, you can register at the polls on Tuesday. And if you're unaffiliated with a party, you can vote in either the Democratic or Republican primary. For the Republican one, you'll need to register Republican at the polls, but the Democratic one is open. You don't need to be a registered Democrat to vote in it. Go to IdahoVotes.gov for more information and details about what you need to do to register. Thank you again, and join us next week for more information and analysis after Tuesday's vote.